Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the next episode of the Charter School Connection podcast. Today, we have some exciting guests with us from the Academies of Math and Science schools in uh, Arizona, Eric and Nate. And so, Eric, we'll have you introduce yourself, and then, Nate, you can tell us a little bit about yourself as well. Yeah, thank you, Jared. My name is Eric Greenberg. I'm the CEO with the Academies of Math and Science. I've uh, been with this organization uh, about four and a half years now. Uh, through my entire career, I've spent in the education industry from higher ed to early ed, and now in the K-12 education space. Super happy to be to be chatting with you today, Jared, and, and hopefully we can we can uh, add some good content and, and talk about some good things and, and continue to move forward uh, the progress that, that us and many others are trying to make when, in the world of education. Yeah, we're looking forward to it. Um, Nate, go ahead and tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah, Jared, happy to be with you as well. My name is Nate Lowry. I serve as the Chief Academic Officer for Academies of Math and Science. So I manage the academics team as well as the school's team, all of the directors who manage uh, principals and so on. Um, actually, next week, we'll be, I will be wrapping up my first full year with Academies of Math and Science. So super excited about that. Um, prior to living out here, wonderful phoenix arizona i my entire educational career was in the state of texas so started off as a special education teacher and um have been kind of working through the leadership position and just really really excited to be here with you and chat education yeah for sure and it's interesting to hear that um you came from texas you have a lot of background clearly i'm, I'm sure that's uh aided you in your in your position um, I'd like to start off by kind of getting to know uh, the individuals that we are interviewing a little bit better. So, Nate, I'd like to ask a little bit about uh, what got you started with education and charter schools in particular? Yeah, so I think that's a two-part question. So I actually um, graduated right around the time that the economy was in a free fall and so um, had planned to go to law school and applied to do Teach for America. Um, was accepted and said, send me anywhere, I'll do anything. And so they sent me to the Rio Grande Valley and I was assigned to teach special education. Thought I would do it for two years and then go back to law school and um, fell in love with it. Here I am 15 years later, I'm still in education and don't see myself really doing anything else. Um, interestingly enough, my placement school was a traditional public school um, and I was stayed there for three years. I was one of those people who thought, Charter schools only take the good kids. They only have the good teachers. Like they don't need any help. I'm going to stay in the traditional district and um, was convinced by a former colleague and mentor of mine that kids everywhere need a really great education. And there's a lot of need in the public charter space. And so after many, many, many conversations, I was convinced and um, have really not looked back. Well, that's good to hear. Uh, we believe the charter school space, uh, charter school space is a very unique one and uh, one that's very important as well. So Eric, uh, we'd like to ask you a little bit about your pathway and why you feel that charter schools have been a, a great home for you to kind of settle on career-wise. Yeah, so different than Nate, I, I went to school, never thought that I would uh, enter the education space and, and be in anything related to education. My goal is to be in, in finance um, and, and have a successful career in the financial industry. That quickly changed right after right after college. I had an opportunity to work with a higher education institute, and within months, I I found a a passion for it, and that led to over a dozen years in in higher ed, 
And then from there, wanted to get a full grasp. I think when you're in higher education, you you study all aspects of education to understand the future and and what we need to do to evolve in higher ed. And a lot of that work was done uh, researching early ed, uh, K-12 ed, and uh, specifically looking at charter schools and how they are making a difference in education and how can we learn from institutions like that and, and programs like that to make a difference in higher ed. Um, so I had an opportunity to join an, an, uh, an organization that was deeply involved in early education schools and uh, realized that there's a lot of innovation and creativity happening outside of the typical college graduate programs. Um, and I, I came to AMS looking uh, to learn more about having done higher ed, having, having done some work in the early ed space, really looking to kind of complete that circle. And I really loved what AMS was doing. And I know we're going to talk a little bit about the Academies of Math and Science in a minute, but particularly loved the, the vision that the organization has, uh, particularly around the mission and, and, and who they serve and why they do that work. And I love it because I look at education like a, a big puzzle. It's a very difficult puzzle to put together. Um, and it's one that is so needed, especially when you look at how other countries are approaching K-12 education really early on. So pre-K all the way up through 12th, 12th grade education. I think our country is in, 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 in need of creativity, innovation, but also at the same time doing the basics absolutely right. There are so many kids who are in need of those basic components. And I think charter schools have a unique opportunity to serve um, underserved, uh, communities and, and families and students. And that's what I love about charter schools because there are so, uh, the, the need for innovation, creativity, but doing the basics absolutely right is 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 very prevalent. We, we share a similar mindset. We feel that charter schools offer a very, uh, a very needed service, right? With providing public access to education. And when you have strong leaders, like uh, I'm sure you, you, you two both are, schools are very likely to have individuals like that too excel in the goals that the school has set up to do. You both mentioned that you have kind of felt a, a great attachment to education, and I'm, I'm sure that there's a bit of passion into it as well. I'm curious to know if either of you have any particular individual that might have inspired you to pursue the route of education, previous teacher, perhaps? You know, I'll take that one real first, uh, Nate. I, what's funny to me is we, we had um, Teacher Appreciation Week was just a few weeks ago. And I, I had a thought as I was reflecting on it that um, I sent a message to our, our entire staff and just to highlight our teachers. And I took a moment to reflect on teachers that made a difference and impact in my life. And uh, my intent was to show them that even today at my age and throughout my career, I still remember those, those specific teachers and, and what they taught me at the time, but most importantly, how they contributed to who I am today. And I still remember some of the things that they taught me. I still remember some of the conversations I had with them. Um, there are two of them in particular that I still converse with today. That's a lifelong connection. That's a lifelong impact. Um, and so to me, it's so, you know, I think that the, the, the teacher landscape has changed uh, dramatically over the last few years, but the need for teachers is higher than ever. And it's not just what we do today. Um, I'm a byproduct of teachers who cared about me, who put a lot of uh, energy and investment in me. And so to me, it's, a, it's just a culmination. I also grew up in a home where it was, you know, education was very important, um, not just 
you know, getting good grades and being active in, in our schools, but to continue on uh, to higher ed institutions. But uh, the, you know, it was, it was a fun exercise for me to write that, write that memo to all of our staff and, and highlight those teachers and what they meant to me then and how that is apply, applicable to me today. Yeah, for me, it's a little more personal. I guess uh, my mom taught middle and junior high school math for 31 years. Um, and, you know, in the ed space, that's kind of like the blind spot. Like you don't really hear of people who teach middle school for that long. You hear of the lifelong kinder teachers and the lifelong, you know, senior teachers, but it's very rare um, to hear of someone who taught middle school for so long. And it turns out I ended up loving teaching middle school. That was my favorite spot. I think it's, it's kind of like scotch, like it's really bitter at first, but once you get into it, it's, it's the only thing I'll ever drink. So um yeah definitely inspired by my mom and she raised myself and my two brothers by herself while while doing a really great job teaching so that would be my answer to that well that's fantastic it sounds it's it's always interesting when you hear about the people that put all this education and effort and um, to see that individual grow up and be able to be in a position where they can give back and help other young kids kind of the same way that you guys were helped yourselves so I think those are uh, some beautiful answers. And now I guess I'm curious just to know a little bit about uh, your school. Can you guys tell me a bit about its history and maybe what makes uh, you guys unique? Yeah, great question. So we were founded in 1994. Uh, so over 23, uh, nearing 23 years of, of uh, charter school work here in the state of Arizona. Uh, the story is a, a little bit unique. It was founded, uh, our founder was an immigrant from Uzbekistan and a very highly educated woman in her country. She came here with her, her very young son and um, you know, was working, working double jobs to make ends meet. Noticed that she, and, and like I said, she's a very, very well-respected educator in her country and so badly wanted to put her son in a good school. And um, you know, she enrolled him in school and then he had an interest in learning wanting to learn the guitar. He obviously had an interest in math from her because she was a math, a math teacher. And so she realized as, as, a, as an immigrant, it was hard for her to pay for him to take the additional things that he wanted, learning some guitar lessons, having additional math help, et cetera, uh, more of those extracurriculars. She didn't have the money to pay for those. And so her thought was, why don't I start a school with a background in education, why don't I start a school that has all of those things built into its curriculum so that all students can take advantage of the arts, the music, the maths, the science, et cetera. And so way back then in 94, she, she started the school in Tucson, Arizona uh, with, just, with just 30 students and uh, with help from a lot of uh, foundations and, and community work It has grown today to, uh, we have nine brick and mortar schools um, in, in Tucson and across the Phoenix area, we serve uh, um, we serve about nine thousand students, and we have we have obviously had a great impact on uh, thousands and thousands of students over the years. Um, as our as our name implies, really focusing on on math and science, and I think Nate will get to it in a little bit. But in addition to that, focusing very heavily on the basics of reading, uh, of writing, to create a, a good, solid, strong foundation. We exclusively serve um, um, underserved and high need areas. And so as we look to build a school, we, we find where, where we believe students are in the most need for a good program. And so uh, we come in and, and we build a school 
and and open our doors to uh, the entire community to come in and, and be part of the program that we offer. It's not just what we offer during the school day. We we take very seriously our before care, after care, extracurricular sports clubs, et cetera, to give that holistic experience to to both the students and and the parents. Quite the history. Um, Nate, do you have any any thoughts about uh, one of your favorite aspects about the school and some other ways that it is uh, unique compared to other charter schools? Um, yeah, I would I would echo what Eric said. There's just a lot of opportunity for us to focus on the fundamentals, right? Like we're we're still feeling the effects of the pandemic. We know that those gaps didn't close overnight, and so really dialing into skills and knowledge that kids need to be on or above grade level so that when they leave us in eighth grade they're prepared for high school and then thus prepared for a career in college um but at the same time we like kids to have fun and so there's a lot of um you know we offer all kinds of different music classes we offer art classes we offer a ton of after school programming um, and we really believe that those two things together allow kids to you know close those gaps be ready to compete in the workforce, but also to, to have fun and pick up some different um, skills outside of just the reading, writing, math. It's good, it's good to be well-rounded with your students. Um, I, I do really like the history side about uh, the origins of your guys' school. I'm, I'm just curious, is that story on your website? It is, yeah. Yeah, um, I might actually want to read that myself and just kind of just kind of experience that. Um, it's it's really cool to hear about where everybody uh, or where schools kind of get their start from. Um, as you guys have grown into the larger organization that you are, I'm curious to know your insights on this since you guys are both in kind of leadership administrative positions. What is it that you guys look for when you're hiring the right people to be the teachers and the staff members uh, for the school? Is there is it do you value personality over experience or experience over something else or what what would you say is the most important thing you look for when you're hiring individuals i can answer that from the school side and then uh swing it over to eric so really for me it, it's quite simple my formula hasn't really changed um i look for people who like to work hard because this is a high you know pressure environment i like people who believe that every kid can be successful and people who are open to feedback if you have those three character traits, the rest of it, no matter what the job is, we can teach you how to do. Yeah, I would say in addition to that, Jared, um, in leadership positions, administrative positions, back office positions, even to Nate's point in school positions, what's really important to us is, is how we stick to our vision and values. And um, we we have created very simple vision and values and, and try to, um, talk about those and, and find every opportunity to get those out to all of our staff, reward and recognize staff based on their values. So we have a vision that's very simple. It's, it's, it's the best education, the best environment. And so as we look to hire, it doesn't matter if it's a, a front desk associate, if it's a um, cleaning personnel, all the way up to a principal, to a back office administrator, director, VP, whomever, is do they have a passion to be part of creating the best education in the best environment? From there, we have we have three very simple values. Uh, the first is do whatever it takes. The second is act with honor. And the third is be vulnerable, candid, and kind. Those to me and to Nate and to our leadership team is those are those create the foundation of, of who you are. As Nate mentioned, do you have a desire? Do you want to be part of it? Um, 
do you have this this passion to uh, serve these communities by by exemplifying the values that we have and and truly be a part of how can we create the best education, the best environment? Because if you think about it, you can never truly achieve the best. The best evolves over time, and so it's a constant quest to improve and get better and better. Uh, so it can be the very best for that student, the best environment for that teacher, the best um, education for that family. And uh, that there kind of sparks a lot of, of, of what we do. And, and we're looking for people who truly have a passion and drive to be part of that. Absolutely. You don't, you don't get the best just right off the bat, like you said. Um, but being able to build and have a strong foundation will expedite the process of being built up to the best that you can be. You had mentioned, Eric, that you guys just held a, a teacher appreciation uh, week. Was that was that correct? Mm -hmm. Yeah, just a few weeks ago. Yeah, is that one of the ways that you guys like to um, kind of celebrate the hard work that your staff puts forth and kind of help retain them? So I imagine that um, when you have an excellent, an excellent uh, group of teachers, a group of individuals, you kind of just want to take care of them so that they won't just be looking for other jobs, other places as retaining talented individuals that have been something you've struggled with, either of you as an administrator? Yeah, I'll just, I'll give a few comments and Nate can definitely uh, add a lot more clarity. I think all schools right now are facing a similar problem. Uh, across the country, there's a, there's, a, there's a massive teacher shortage and we have, we have learned a lot and through a lot of research and study and even surveying our own staff and talking and engaging with our own staff, um, I think we're all learning why and what are the causes um, of the teacher shortage. Obviously, we know the effects of the teacher shortage across the country. But at the end of the day, I think teachers, uh, we believe that all teachers want to be successful. They want to, they truly want to teach. They want to give back. They want to impact the students that come into their classroom. Um, but it's on us to provide them the proper resources, the support, the guidance. And so in addition to you know, the basics of a teacher appreciation week or uh, different compensation plans, et cetera. Um, I think one thing that I that I really appreciate about Nate and his team is the emphasis on developing them. How can we develop your skills? How can we uh, help give you resources to um, do better in the classroom or tackle some of the issues that they're facing in the classroom? And so we're really looking at developing um, in addition to what we already have, really developing out some of those programs um, because retention is, is based on a lot of things. And I think the number one factor is, are they happy? Are they enjoying what they're doing? And part of being happy and enjoying what you're doing is feeling like you're doing a good job at it. And so the number one thing we hear from teachers across the country is they need more support. Support is, is can be defined in a lot of different ways. And I think right now we're learning um, about what that looks like for our staff, but uh, to me, it's that that care. Um, what do we give them within the classroom? What are we giving them outside of the classroom to know that and help them feel like they are a part of um, of, of exemplifying and, and, and being a part of the mission that we have? Nate, I know you can add a lot more clarity to that. Yeah, I think the only other thing that I would add is... Um... We've made a lot of changes this year um, in an effort to really improve our model and really adapt and, and look forward as we think about what do our kids and families need. Um, and one of the things that I've been really proud of the team is that every step of the way we have involved teachers in getting feedback on the things that we want to change. 
whether that is through quarterly focus groups, we have several surveys that we send out, um, we meet the staff and do town halls. I get Teams messages a lot from people, which I love. I love to hear directly from folks. And so just really making sure that they understand, like we value their opinion. And there's been a couple of times this year where um, we've had to say like, you know what? We thought this was the right move. We heard loud and clear from you all that it wasn't. And so we're gonna reverse course. Like that, that's what we're here to do. This is not a top down sort of approach. This is everybody's in this work together. It takes all of us. And so um, I've just been really excited that we've been able to bring folks along for all of the things that we've got in store for the years to come. Right, and I can imagine with having so many uh physical locations nine nine campuses you must have a lot of teachers that you guys are working with and making sure are feeling valued is it ever difficult or a little overwhelming being being in charge of managing that many locations and that many teachers i i would say that we're blessed with a really strong team um, of like-minded people who work really really hard um and um yeah I, I i love that when i sit down with my team i'm often not the smartest person in the room and someone knows something that i don't and so um i think it's true for all of the teams across our organization um but you know i, I would say to to also add to eric's point like it's just it's becoming more challenging to find folks who who are um you know wanting to do that this kind of work uh with all of the remote work options out there and things so we're really trying to get as creative as possible to retain as many of our folks as we can. Absolutely. I think what's interesting on that, Jared, is it's it's ironically not not super difficult to manage multiple sites. Uh, like Nate said, great team, great people, great leadership, great processes, uh, great communication. I think what what is difficult for us, because uh, as Nate said, we 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 don't want to be a top down environment. We want to we want to have a very horizontal flat um, culture, um, structure, and the hard part for us is not being able to engage as much as we would like to with staff members and know exactly how they're feeling, live and breathe what they're doing on a daily basis. As Nate said, we, we do employee focus groups. Uh, this year we implemented some, some road shows. It's a silly name, but our team gets out into the campuses and has an opportunity to interact with staff. And one thing we really encourage, especially our back office, our, our network district team, is to get out to the schools and be present. And um, I think that is that is something that we can continue to do do better. But that's very important to us to to understand and feel what they what they feel and know. And and uh, and so it's interesting for us that the the challenge is multiple sites is not 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 too difficult when you have some good people and processes in place. Uh, the challenge is really how can you build a connection with uh, right now we're we're just short of a thousand a thousand employees how can you make a, a true connection with them and understand what's going on so that you can make the proper decisions that lead to a positive impact for them right I think those are some really great efforts that you guys do to try and keep things a little bit uh, more in perspective with what your your staff is doing and I really like what you said Nate about how uh you know, you, you're you're not always the smartest person in the room, that you're surrounded by individuals that are talented, more talented in one way or another. I think that's a, a quote that I've heard before as one of the characteristics of a good leader is understanding the capabilities of, of their peers. Um, so I'd like to transition to involving parents in the classroom. Do you guys encourage your teachers to do anything in particular to kind of keep the parents involved with the school? 
Absolutely. That's one of the benefits of really focusing on math and science. Our kids do a lot of hands-on projects. We do science fairs. We obviously showcase a lot of their work. Um, similarly, on the performance side, we have a lot of recitals. We have a lot of uh, plays and things that our kids uh, participate in. And so that those are sort of the you know, either end of semester, end of quarter, end of year, sort of culminating projects that we always want parents to be, um, you know, a part of, but certainly throughout um, the course of the school year, uh, right, we're constantly in communication with parents, ensuring that they know what their kids' grades are, how they can help them at home, like all of all of those different things. We use, we try to use as many different um, communication methods as possible. Some of our parents prefer email, some of them are prefer text, some of them are on our social media accounts, and so we're, we're not where we need to be uh, with that. I think everyone always wants to do more to communicate and, and get parents and guardians involved, but it's certainly something that we have placed a premium on just in knowing, you know, how busy our, our parents are um, and how important, you know, the work that we do together is. For sure. If you want them to, if you want them to remain, remain, um, involved with their school and keep their child enrolled good lines of communication I think are very important for that with um, inspiring the students is there anything that you guys have found that your teachers have 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 said works well to keep the students in, inspired in the classroom I guess you guys may not interact with a whole lot of students uh, being being administrators but would you, would you guys have anything to say towards that yeah, you know, I'd say that one of the really cool things that our campuses have done is create um, opportunities for leadership. Um, so student leadership groups, whether that's a leadership council, um, what have you. And um, a couple of our schools have really done a great job of getting um, leaders from the community who represent um, our students, right? They grew up in this community. They look like them. They have a lot of things in common with them. And they've, you know, gone on to do really successful things. And just getting those uh, people to come and speak to our kids and help them under stand um you know what opportunities are out there for them you know how how they went through different obstacles and were able to come out really strong i think that's been that's been really great um i think just helping kids understand what lies ahead um it you know can be really difficult when you're only 12 or 13 to understand why those short-term things have long-term impacts on the decisions um you know your brain is actually not formulated to do that until you're like 23 or 24 um, but I think, you know, just having as many different people from the community come in and share their experiences um, really has done a lot to help keep our kids focused. Absolutely. And you guys have said that uh, the school is called Academies of Math and Science, but you do try and incorporate uh, the arts and um, like music as well. Would you say you get more people interested in your academy just because like more interest in the, the STEM field? Or do people ever come to you guys because the students have a particular interest in, within the arts that you guys have some sort of uh, emphasis on? It's, it's a little bit of both. I would say it's primarily the STEM program and just robust academics, but we definitely have a lot of our parents who have chosen to come with us and have stayed with us because of the extracurriculars and because of the um, electives and fine arts that are offered throughout the day as well. I'm sure the students enjoy the variety. Definitely. I, I mean, I, I we are not a perfect school district by any means, but I am very jealous of the things that our kids get to do because I did not have those opportunities, particularly in elementary school. Well, part of the reason that I um, actually enjoyed communicating with uh, teachers and administrators with 
with Charter Connect is I went to a K through 12 charter school growing up myself. And uh, I know I certainly enjoyed having like the the physical education classes. And funny enough, I did really well in the sewing classes when I was in middle and high school. <laughs> that was always kind of a fun thing to do. That's pretty cool. Just kind of explore different things. Um, so you guys had mentioned that um, the shortage of teachers has been kind of a difficult thing as well as the pandemic I know is difficult for, for everybody. I'm curious to know, like what kind of strategies have you guys put forward that helped the school kind of get through hard times, either whether it was for uh, academies of math and science or a previous school that you had worked with? Yeah, so you know the Jared coming out of the pandemic, I think everybody <clears throat> got a lot of a lot of good exercise and experience with dealing dealing with tough times. And now that we're in a post-pandemic environment, uh, that in itself has brought along brought along a lot of challenges that schools and administrators didn't face as 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 quick as five years ago, even. And so um, a few examples, I I think. Number one, Nate, Nate called it out. Something that's that's really important to us is the voice of our employees. Um, whether you're a teacher, an administrator, a front office associate, whomever, is really trying to understand and engage what what are you seeing at the schools? What are the struggles happening at the schools? Um, to help you better align resources or or decision making. And then this one is kind of it's kind of a combination, but. Um, you know, when when you're when you're making decisions for or a network that's impacting as many people as 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 we have, you can't necessarily make those decisions in a vacuum. But you you have to do you have to do your work and you have to do some research, not just within your own network, but you have to look at what's going on in the community, what's happening around us. And so a lot of work has to be done, but in in a similar fashion, you kind of have to make decisions quickly. I I was taught many years ago to fail fast. Um, get the get as much information as you can. Make the decision. If it's the wrong decision, quickly correct course um, and set out to a new one. If it's the right one, good. Keep feeding it. Keep nurturing it so that it becomes better. Um, but I think for us, as we learned, is is kind of those things to then incorporate. Uh, how can we now be creative and 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 innovative in this environment? So during the pandemic, how can we create um, virtual opportunities for 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 our students without losing the core uh, that they needed within the classroom? How can we provide additional resources and, and support to, uh, to our staff and to our teachers? Uh, we did a couple things throughout the pandemic that we, we saw because we, we do serve, uh, our schools are, are predominantly and exclusively in uh, economically disadvantaged areas. And so uh, what we did is we found partners within the community uh, with diapers, baby formula, um, any any chance we had to pick up the essentials so that we could provide them to our families, to the families of our schools. What we found is our staff loved that. They loved being a part of that. Uh, and then some of them needed some of the essentials as well. Uh, coming out of the pandemic, how do we deal with the teacher shortage? How do we deal with the training and development of those skills of teachers? Um, we've looked at partnering with different agencies. We've looked at uh, starting our own, what would be our own kind of call it a teacher in residence program, but how can we train uh, those who are not teachers yet to be teachers and also help them pay for their college as they're, as they're approaching a college degree in education, uh, things like that. But I would say a lot of these ideas and creativity come from just, you, you gotta have a good pulse and you gotta be willing to, to fail fast, if you will. 
I actually really like that fail fast. Um, I'm actually going to write that down and remember that because I think that's that's really important. Oftentimes people are kind of too afraid to fail, so they put it off, but you don't learn until you do. So right. that, is a, yeah. that is a nugget of gold right there. Um, so is there any kind of tips or advice that you guys would pass on to someone else that would be stepping into a role such as the ones that you guys hold or anybody that's looking to start their own charter school? Yeah, I'd say be very, very clear on your vision and your why, why you do the work, what, what purpose you want to have in serving whoever it is that you want to serve so that when all of the noise comes at you, um, you know what you're going to say yes to, what you're going to say no to, whether that is on a programmatic side, on an operational side, or even on a fiduciary side, right? Like knowing where you want to go and where you want your students to go and then being really, really diligent and not letting anything um, get in the way of you achieving that. You don't know why you're doing something. You can't figure out how to do it, right? And suddenly you start saying yes to everything and you become nothing to everyone. <laughs> Yeah, Nate, uh, last week, Nate, Nate did a great session with our entire leadership team, which included um, our school leadership teams. Um, it, was, it was a great session on, on really identifying why. So as an organization, as a school, understanding our why, but that has to, that has to extend to each individual, understanding why do I do what we do? What, why do I do what I do? Why do I have a passion for this? Um, that's very different than Nate's why. That's very different than than a school principal's why, but we have to understand and know that. And our collective why builds up to an organizational why, um, which I mentioned to you before, is, is having a very clear mission, a very clear vision of, of best education, best environment. How are we gonna do those things? And the only thing I would add to that is, is we all know education is very difficult. Um, as, as archaic as the institution of education is, it's still a very complex and difficult uh, thing to achieve, especially if when you're starting a school or you want to, you see a need in the community and you want to be creative and innovative in what you're offering that community. Um, the why, I think that Nate mentioned, that that fuel, that passion that you have, um, just grit and tenacity. Uh, a lot of that, a lot of what we have, have built to today just was on the backs of a lot of tenacious individuals who knew what they wanted, why they wanted it. Um, that it would, that it served a greater purpose than him or or than 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 them as an individual, um, and then just through a tenacious collective effort, uh, just keep going, just keep going because the work is is super important. It's very difficult. Um, our CFO says all the time, and and we love this, is that um, this is not a today work. It's not a it's not a challenge for today. It's a it's a forever work. It's a challenge for forever. It's never going to stop. And so. If you're focused on just getting through today, that's good. Get through today, but it's part of the forever work that we're involved with. I like that. This is a forever work for sure. So with all the difficulties that are in place with operating a school and starting a school, are there anything that either of you would like to see happen on the local, state, or federal level of government to kind of make it easier for charter schools? I, I can answer that um, in terms of the federal government. Like I'd love to see SR4. Um, <laughs> like I think most organizations would. 
Um, you know, we, I mean, I was, there was a headline in the times just last week that, you know, they, all of this money has been spent and yet we're, the results are mixed, right? Like we're, we're still not out of it. Those, those gaps aren't, have not magically disappeared. And it's not because, you know, educators across the country aren't working hard. It's because this, this was a huge lifetime disruptor. And so, yeah, if I had a wand, it would be, there'd be an S or four. Yeah, this is, this is a topic that I, that I'm pretty passionate about, and and I I spend a lot of time uh, thinking about these things, researching, and and having great conversations with with individuals, politicians, uh, community members, etc. I think just to simply answer your question, Jared, as a country, I feel like we there's just a need to invest in education. Um, I I don't think that we're doing a good enough job looking and evaluating how do we educate. In early education, how do we educate those young kids? How do we educate and provide outstanding, great environments for our kids in K through 12? And then take that all the way up into the university levels. We we just we must in, invest in better programs. One of the things we talk about often is is kids these days they need more than just the teacher in the classroom. They need they need additional help and resources that with current funding really across the country. It doesn't support that, and I would say that that um, that that there's a there's a great need to really evaluate and look at how do we educate these kids and make sure that they are truly prepared for a future that isn't written yet, uh, for jobs that don't even exist yet, but more so for the basic skills, um, the the non-academic skills that are involved in in educating kids and what they need to be successful but also finding ways for them to really truly understand who they are, the impact that they have in their own community, whether that's a very small community or a much broader community. Um, and so there, there's, there's a myriad of things, Jared, I think that, that um, in, a local, in a local and at the federal level, we need to chat about, but um, I think we need to take a little more um, time and energy looking at how we prioritize education versus some of the, the hot topics that we talk about. That's easy for us to talk about because we live it every single day. Uh, but we also, because we live it every day, see the need for more uh, governmental involvement, more corporate involvement, more community involvement when it comes to education. That's why we, you know, charter schools, it comes from um, a foundation uh, and, and spirit of school of choice, which a lot of states are, are Arizona, we're fortunate Arizona, great state of school of choice. You see other states like like Florida, Arkansas, Texas, really, really trying to push stronger the the idea and the spirit of school of choice. And I think that's a great step um, to to offer more to families, offer more to parents, let them choose how they want their how, how they want their their kid to be educated. But with that comes a lot of a lot of difficulties and challenges uh, that I think we we, we need to prioritize and make make a little more important because um, you know if you if you compare our country to other countries there's there's things we can learn and things we can we can do better at and so the prioritization of, of early education and k-12 education is, is pretty pretty critical in my opinion absolutely it'd, it'd be great if there were a way to for politicians to more directly have access to the voice of the teachers right the ones that are on the front line in terms of the educational um, like part of our country. I'm I'm also curious to know 
with everything and all the work that you guys have done so far, what are some of the current goals that Academies of Math and Science is, is focused on? What are the kind of the next steps that you guys are taking on your journey? Yeah, so we want every single one of our campuses to be A-rated by the state of, of Arizona. We, we feel like that really shows that uh, we're doing best, um, the best education, the best environment for all of our kids. Um, and I think our big priorities moving into next year, I shared with you, we, we've kind of revamped our um, programmatic offerings and, and changed up our master schedules to allow for more kids to get their just-in-time intervention. So implementing what we're calling bell to bell done well, we really want all of our teachers to teach bell to bell, teach the updated curriculum um, and do it well. And then using data, being obsessed with data, looking at data in as many ways as possible to close gaps as quickly as possible, um, both at the student level, but also at the teacher and leader proficiency level. Bell to bell teaching, I kind of like that. <laughs> and making the most of the time that you have. That's right. There's a lot of research on that. If we do it well during the day, you don't need hours and hours of after-school tutoring. You don't need Saturday schools. It's just like, let's get first instruction right so we close those gaps real time. Absolutely. Do you guys have, um, like, what, what, what would you, do you guys know, like, what your student-to-teacher ratio is? Do you tend to have smaller classrooms, larger classrooms? Yeah, right now, uh, it, a lot of that depends on the state and what the state allows and encourages. So, for example, in Arizona, our, our ratios are a little higher um, because of the, the population of students we serve, the size of our schools, and, and what we believe we want to serve as many students as possible in our program. Um, so right now, it's a little higher. It's, it's close, I would say, to 29, 30 per in, in each classroom. Um, we are in we're, we're working on on building schools in some other states and following their their recommendations and statutes. And so um, really it's a collective effort to understand uh, from the community, from the state, from the regulators, what is the proper, uh, and then in our model, it's it's very flexible that it can that it can go pretty high or it can it can go lower if needed. Um, but our mission is is truly to serve as many as many students as we can, um, believing that, uh, they are improving in those basics that we talked about. And that, a lot of that goes down to the, the resources and support that we provide our teachers. And, and, and Nate's team does a phenomenal job at making sure that they have the development that they, that they need, the resources they need, but also the data to help them understand where they're at, the progress they're making, and where they need to focus. Absolutely. Uh, great comment. Thank you. Um, so the next the next couple of questions are a little more a little more fun ones, just to kind of get an idea of uh, how you guys like to present yourselves to the community. So the first one is if you guys were just given a magic wand that had a one time wish, like you could fix anything about about your school that you that you would like to see changed, what would it be? Okay, that's a really good question. Uh, about our schools? Yeah, it's like if you charters in general. Brand new building, <clears throat> oof, there it is. If you wanted just unlimited money, I guess, for whatever you needed. I think unlimited uh, unlimited money is the, the easy answer. Um, I, I'm gonna be way, oh, Nate, I don't know where you're thinking. I'm gonna be way more, way more philosophical in my answer, but um, 
I think some of the some of the things that keep us up at night are um, are are the students we serve really are they, are they happy? Are they getting what they need? And for for some of theirs, for some of our students, the the only meal they receive is the one that they get at our school. Um, are there teachers who are providing the love and care for them? And so for me, it'd be both on the student and the and the teacher staff side of the schools is is do they do they believe? Do they believe that today is making a difference in their life? And 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 if I could make if I could wave a magic wand, it'd be to remove remove all the difficulties that they're facing in their life, remove all the challenges that they have, um, the bullying, the hard times, the challenge, you know, whether that be at home or at school, to to let that all go and then give them an environment where they love and that they where they are happy, where they that where they are loved and cared for where they can be themselves, um, where they can learn and, and, and really go through the process of, of, of shaping who they want to be. I know that's a, that's a philosophical answer, but I think that's one thing we, we, we talk about all the time is how can we make their lives better so that when they come to school, all of that's gone and they can just be themselves. I think that's a great answer, a fantastic answer. And frankly, it's, it's one that money can't buy, you know? I would say for me, every kindergartner would uh, leave kindergarten reading, being able to read at the end of a year kinder level. Is that, uh, is that like a, a difficult thing? Yes, for any number of reasons. Some of the reasons Eric mentioned, some of that, you know, that we have a lot of our kiddos who have to acquire the English language before they can learn to read the English language. And so, um, lots of gaps to close early, but I mean, I don't have to tell you the research shows if they leave kinder on level, like their ability for us to do what we need to do with them to get them where they need to be is just exponentially higher. Right. Being able to read is very critical and this, the sooner they're able to do that, absolutely the better. Um, so the last question that we have is if you guys had a billboard in, in the city of the city of Tucson in, in Phoenix, wherever you wanted, right next to the busiest road, and it were to have a message that the community would see, what would you want um, everyone to to read about when they first hear about your school? It would say, enroll your child at AMS. I would add, best education, best environment. That's it, simple. That's all they need to know. That's all they need to know. That's That's awesome. Um, do either of you guys have any additional uh, stories, experiences um, that you would like to share with us? Um, I think one thing um, for me that that's it's it's a pet project that I'm working on that um, would love the collective effort of um, educators, you know, all around the country, is um, finding a way to make the, the the teacher profession, the teaching profession, a lot more prominent, a lot more valued um, nowadays. I think we've, we've, we've lost that value over the years, over, over many, many years. If you look at how impactful teachers are to students, to communities, um, to each of us, we are all impacted by, by multiple, many teachers. We need to find a way to make the teaching profession one that, that is highly, highly valued within our communities, uh, which is reflected in the education they receive, the compensation that they receive, but also the the recognition that they deserve for the impact that they have um, 
with kids and and um, making sure that they receive the the resources that they need to be successful. And so, um, something I'm I'm currently working on, and and it kind of comes back to the political question that you had earlier, Jared. Is is how can how can we um, how can we find a way to to really make the teaching profession one of true value that is respected, that is compensated appropriately, that receives the the support, the recognition, and the resource that it needs to, to truly have a, a positive impact. I have kids, my kids go to a charter school. I hear and see the experiences that they have. I hear them talk about their teachers. Um, I also experienced them talking about, I got a new teacher today and a few months later that teacher leaves and they get another new teacher and my heart breaks for that. Um, their mom is also a teacher and, and I get to hear from her, her experience with teaching and, and how hard and difficult it is. And sometimes it's a, it's one of those, it's one of those jobs that is a thankless job. And so I think overall as, as a country and, and we're, we're looking to lead the charge in this area for whoever wants to join us is, is really adding a lot more value and prominence to the, the, the teaching profession. Yeah, I mean, I think along those same lines, I think our, our number one charge is really just help people be better at their jobs. I think when people are more efficient, they can meet really high expectations, they can move mountains for kids while also practicing self-care. You know, I think in education, there's often we, we create false choices. I need to either work 80 hours a week and get really good results for kids, or I'm going to practice self-care and, and not do what I need to do to get the job done. And, you know, I think when we teach people how to do their jobs well and to be efficient, um, and when to say no, like when to put up a, a blocker and say, you know what, like I've, I've put four hours into these lesson plans, flat one more hours, diminishing marginal return, like it's not going to lead to a substantial amount of mastery, like take care of yourself. Um, I think we just got to do a better job of helping people understand there, there is a third way where you can really achieve excellent outcomes for kids, but not burn yourself into the ground working 70, 80 hours a week. I, I did that my first few years and I realized very quickly if I continue to do this, I'm not going to be able to do the work that I'm truly passionate about. So um, I think it's up to us as leaders to really help people understand those boundaries and how to be efficient and productive and effective. Absolutely. I think uh, both you guys' answers almost build off one another. You can get more emphasis and more prominence and more interest um, in educators as um, they're able to kind of be able to more easily balance their work life and their and their self-care. So truly, I think you guys are, um, I think Academies of Math and Sciences is very fortunate to have you both. And um, I want to thank you guys for all the hard work that you guys have put forth towards the educational field. Jared, thank you. We appreciate your time and also the work that you guys are doing to continue to get these messages out and talk to really good really good folks. We had the opportunity to go back and listen to past conversations you guys have had and and really enjoyed listening to other operators, principals, teachers, et cetera. So the work that you guys are doing is also great. And and I think that's where um, there, there's a there's a large community of us. And the more that we can work together, uh, the better, the better we the, the better outcomes we can achieve by uh, and really focusing on on those kids because that's what it's all about. So thank you. Appreciate you having us both. Yeah. Great chatting with you. Thank you so much. Take care. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, thanks to all our viewers for tuning in. Uh, we hope you guys enjoyed this episode and we will see you next time. Thanks.